Now that is a dangerous invitation. <laughs> Take all the time you need. Well, I am so thrilled to be here. I really am. I've looked forward to it uh, for a long period of time, uh, mostly because I've gotten to know in an indirect way through their ministry, uh, the pastors of this church. And I, I do want to take a few minutes before we get started. You can be turning in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, if you would, please. But I've had the opportunity to sit under the ministry of Brother and Sister Summer, and, and I'm, I'm Brother and Sister Summer, Brother and Sister Collins. <laughs> I'm now under all of that. Uh, the Collins' ministry, both Summer and Jason, and... I gleaned from it. They ministered to me as they ministered to us in chapel. And having a chance to be here now and be with them in person and get to fellowship and get to know them a little bit better, uh, I'm more convinced than ever that these are laborers in the Lord that will do a great service to people that sit underneath them. And I just, I want you to know how important it is to belong to a good local church. I've got, uh, you, not, there's not one believer anywhere for any reason. Uh, that should not be a part of a good local church. Now, if you can't get there, that's one thing. If you're not physically able, that's another thing. And we understand that, and the Lord understands that. But if there's a church that has a preaching of the gospel within driving distance, then you need to be a part of it. You need to be giving your time, your tithe, your talent to that local assembly. Simply because for our part on a worldwide ministry, we can minister to people around the world, but... The local church ministers to people in your setting, in your atmosphere, in your schools, in your arena, in your stores. There's no substitute for the good local church. And sometimes we make the big mistake, we make a huge mistake of thinking that church is just getting something. Uh, and we certainly can if we're limited to that as we have been through the COVID circumstances and everybody had to go online uh, and do what they needed to do. We'll do that and you can receive something. But when you walk through these doors as a believer, what you're saying to every single person that has also walked through those doors is, I still believe. I'm still right here. I may not say anything. I may not get on the platform. I may not sing. I may not minister the word. But I'm still right here. I'm a believer. And you, don't, you need to understand the value of that. You need to understand the strength of that. Uh, to other people. When we quote uh, Hebrews, we often say we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but why? Because we're to exhort each other. And the clap on the back, the shake of the hand, even just the look on the face, the smile that you get from somebody else at times is enough, even though they don't know your situation and you don't know theirs, to get you through one more day, one more week, and, and so the gathering together of ourselves together certainly is to receive, and, and uh, I'm just thrilled to, to get to know uh, this church in this area, especially under both of these very capable, anointed preachers of the gospel. Uh, and, and, and if you are within driving distance and can be a part of this church, I'd really strongly 
recommend that you pray about it and let God lead you and guide you. And, and that, that doesn't mean that you can't be a part of SBN. You can. Uh, you can I mean, you can set your DVR. You can watch it on Facebook. You can watch it on YouTube. You can, you can still participate in a worldwide outreach, but there's no substitute for a good local church. And I'm confident that this is a good local church. Amen? Come on, give the Lord a little bit of praise for that. And uh, some of you, as I, I only had a minute or two uh, to greet people after we got started tonight, and the question always is, well, did you bring Joseph? Did you bring Grace? Did you bring Rachel? Uh, they get more requests than I do, you know. <laughs> Joseph is in Alabama preaching tonight. Grace was in Brobridge, Louisiana, I think, preaching last night. Uh, they each have their families, and they love the Lord Rachel, our youngest, and Zach. Zach are from this area. Zach is from this area. They just had their first little one, like uh, Terrence and Melissa, and uh, they're at home taking care of business there. Uh, Joseph is, like I said, preaching tonight. He's just added number five to the list. They have four kids, and number five is on the way. I need to talk to him. But we will leave it there. Grace has two. And then I have a daughter and son-in-law that we're extremely proud of in Largo, Florida, uh, pastoring down there, pastoring a church uh, and doing a great job. They have four grandkids. So Hannah and I have 11 with grandkids with number 12 on the way. So, but they're not here, just me. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, Brother Klein. Now, I don't know how far you drove to get here. But I'm going to wager that Brother Klein, who is from Lima, Ohio, probably came the furthest. What are you doing here? I'm just, I'm just, I'm glad you're here, but wow, good to see you. Uh, these are friends of ours, pastors in Lima, Ohio. Have you uh, found the book of Philippians? Let's get to work for a few minutes. Come join us in the morning. Again, if you don't have your own church, if you don't have a home church, come and be a part of what uh, is happening here at my lakeside church in the morning at 10.30. Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. I have a distinct respect for the Word of God, so let's read carefully. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, Paul would write, rejoice in the Lord. Can we just think about that for a minute? There's not a moment in time that we as brothers and sisters of the Lord do not have a reason to rejoice. To write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. We're going to talk about that tonight. We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
But what things were gain or profit to me? What things I used to think of as an asset? What things I once counted on and built my life around? What things were gain to me, those I counted loss. Not just the idea of laying something aside or losing it, but Paul began to recognize that the things that he once trusted in were not just something he needed to let go of, but they were something that were detrimental. They were stealing from him. They were taking from him. So instead of an asset, it was a liability. Instead of a plus, it was a minus. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Most important thing in our lives, believers, ought to be knowing Christ. And when I say that, that's experiential, personal knowledge. Not just theology. But you know Him. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung, that I may win or gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We want to minister tonight a message entitled, we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. The church of Jesus Christ is the representation of God to the earth and in the earth to the world today. And there's some things we need to adjust. Now, we can talk about our government and things they need to adjust. And we can talk about education and the things that they need to adjust. But there's things that you and I as believers need to adjust. We need to fix. We need to be able to take a good look at our belief system, match it up with the Word of God. And like the Apostle Paul, no matter how dear the tradition is to us, no matter how wonderful the experiences of the past, if we find that our thought processes and our doctrine and the application of our theology isn't lining up with the Scripture, then you and I need to change. You and I need to be willing to say, it ain't working when it's not working. We've got to be willing to let go of pride and all that. Now, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But if it's wrong, if it's off base, if some of the things you thought were so important uh, earlier because of what you had been taught or learned or even evaluated in yourself aren't right, then in order for us to be the example to the church that the world needs to be, it's time for us to learn something new. Because Paul said in this to the church at Philippi, we are the representation of Christ to the world. We are the example of God to the world. We are the circumcision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have to minister your word. And I pray that the power of God, the Spirit of God, would help us and strengthen us in the next few minutes and bring to our hearts and our minds the truths of 
those things that need to change. Lord, there's not a one of us under the sound of this voice that does not need to change, and I stand at the front of that line. So we ask that the Spirit of God would flow, that the true teacher would come, the preacher would come, the one that makes teaching and preaching easy, and would minister to us in the name of Jesus we ask, amen and amen. Those of you that are students of the Scriptures know that when Paul writes the book of Philippians, he's writing from prison. He's writing from jail. He's a jailbird. He's stuck behind a Roman guard. Now, if you study the book of Philippians or even read it, there's a, in the first chapter he talks about the fact that that might look bad, but what has happened to him has really produced a furtherance of the gospel. He said it's even in the palace. How did it get from Paul's rented house in Rome, where he was incarcerated in his first incarceration, into Nero's palace? Well, when you hook guards to the Apostle Paul for 12 hours, something happens. When you, when we, when you hook up close to uh, somebody that knows the gospel, that's preaching the gospel, that's living the gospel, something happens. Oh, I wish I could get a witness up in here. When you get to know somebody who really knows Christ and their lives are changed and the, the anointing of God is upon their lives, things happen. So even when bad things happen to good people, God can still bring something good he can still do something that you least expected. And Paul experienced that powerful moving and operation of the Holy Spirit even while he was incarcerated. And he tells the church at Philippi, who just sent him an offering, these people, you've got to understand Paul's relations with, with, with Philippi. This is a church that he is very comfortable with. Uh, there's not a whole lot of theological argument going on, uh, but there is some things that he needs to correct or he wants to warn them about. But he's very comfortable. You can tell just by the way that he talks to them. They are friends. They're not just laborers. They're uh, people that are beloved in Paul's mind. And he's very open and he's very straightforward with them in this epistle. And that's important because when he comes to chapter 3, when he comes to warn them, he's not belittling them. He's not charging them with a warning without cause. And, and when I come to you tonight, I know we would rather swing from the chandeliers, but there's some things that you and I need to adjust, as I said in a moment ago. And that means that every single one of us has to start looking at where we are in our Christian experience. It's not going to be enough in the days and hours to come. In the, in the days that we're going to be facing, it's not enough just to sit in church and to go through a service and then leave and not think about God again until you show up on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. It's just not time for that. And, and the church of Jesus Christ has got to assess, and I'll deal with the Pentecostal church, we've got to assess some of the things that we have believed, the charismatic church, we've got to assess some of the things that we believe. The neo-Pentecostal church, we've got to address some things. The Baptist church, look out, I'm going to get to you sooner or later. We've got to look closely at 
what we believe, see what we are missing, admit it, humble ourselves, and ask God to make His gospel real and prevalent in our hearts and lives so that we can take it to a world and represent it correctly. The message of the cross that has been uh, the forte or the, the, the focus of the Sunlight Broadcasting Network in the last, uh, last years and all of the years of its existence. I believe SBN exists to bring that word to the body of Christ if we have ears to hear. And that is simply the process that religion is not going to do for you what the Holy Spirit can do for you. You can't, get, you can't get what you need from God by joining yourself to religion. Last night as we were sitting uh, and chatting uh, again with the Collinses, I'm just going to call them the Summers, I guess I'm going to be in trouble. But they, they said that they made a statement about unchurching the church. The church needs to unlearn some things. And boy, struck a chord in my heart because... When I talk about the church, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about you and me. Because if we, are, if we are not where we need to be, if we're not doing what we should be doing, if we're not becoming what we could become, then our effectiveness in the world today is going to be less and less and less. This thing is not about celebrity. It's not about who's got the most. It's not, not about who's got the best. It's all about who knows the truth. And is the truth really at work in our hearts and in our lives? Because this is what Christianity is. When I got saved, I was a drunk. I was a drug addict. I didn't know truth. I'd never met truth. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of a three-day binge, truth walked into my room, and I met the truth. And along the path these 35 years, I've made some mistakes. I've moved into wrong belief systems. But God is so gracious to correct us and come to us. He won't allow you to remain the same. Now, you can dig in your heels and refuse to go forward and refuse to let God correct you. Let me preach over here. You can refuse to let God correct you, but if you do, then you're going to miss the opportunity to become what He wants you to become. And becoming for the believer is far more important than doing. We live in this doing generation. Got to do, 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 do. And that's what it is. It's do, do. We have to become something. And the gospel changes us. When it's understood, it, it works on us. And about the time we really think we're hot stuff, God will show up and say, you're not as hot as you think you are, and begin to deal with us and pull us down a little bit. So when we go through these passages tonight, and I, I just want you to be thinking about those issues that might come from the text that you see that are applicable to your life. And in the years to come, in the months to come, if you're sitting under ministries and they're 
coming against something that you believe, don't just get hard-hearted. Take a step back. Take a look and see if what is being said is scriptural. If it is, then allow yourself to be changed. I'm not talking about being blown about by every wind of doctrine. I'm talking about evaluating honestly what you believe. And if it's not scriptural, you got to let it go. If it's tradition, you got to let it go. If it's form, you got to let it go. And in its place, you'll have the power of God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is the advocate of the early church for just such a change. In those days, the, the majority of the church was being inundated with the idea of religion from Jews or from Jerusalem or from what we call today Judaizers. Now, this simply meant that they either didn't want Christianity to exist or they were Jews that thought that we still needed to be maintaining the Mosaic Law. Um, I didn't get saved to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not my covenant. That was a covenant. And it was holy and righteous and good. And it had its place and its time. But I am not under the Old Covenant. I am under a New Covenant. And so it is vital that I begin to search that out and find out what I am accountable to. Now when I said I'm not uh, here to keep the Ten Commandments, I know right away we go, (laughs) I am not tied to the Ten Commandments. I'm tied to Christ. And that freedom not to be ensconced in a covenant that basically was for a set people for a set time in a set place. That's the only place that covenant could work. 614 laws, and we put them in a geographical location, and we put them in here, and they were kept. Listen, they were kept. The Bible says that that they were kept by the law until Christ would come. They were kept. That means they were protected, they were maintained. So the law under the Old Covenant was given because men had no choice as to what was going on on the inside of them. Back then, under the Old Covenant, men weren't born again. Men weren't changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Men didn't have the indwelling presence of Jesus or the Holy Spirit to come in when they were born again. The sin nature was still rampant so they could enter covenant with God by faith, but then God protected them by placing them within a law. He, the law was there and it kept them. They were kept under the law. And it was both a protection, but it was also a prison. And what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His Son. And on the cross of Calvary, He didn't say that the law was wrong. He completed the law. Nailed it to His cross. And now, instead of being kept by the law, I'm kept by the power of God through faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. I can be kept by the power of God through faith. I'm not living as a slave to laws and rules and routines. Now, we laugh about that, but today, our rules and routines 
routines have changed a little bit. They may not be mosaic law, or they might be, but now they're dress codes and hair codes and... Other things that, listen, we've become a slave to. Is there anything in your life tonight that you're a slave to? You can't eat this, can't go there, can't do this, because you, you become a slave to a day, or you become a slave to a tradition. You become a slave to Christ. Paul said, I'm a bond slave to Jesus. And when we become a bond slave to a day, or eating this or not eating that, or wearing this and not wearing that, and our hair done a certain way, or our, all of those are externals. And you become a slave to a tradition. But you're not being changed. And it, what's funny is, we become arrogant slaves. Pastors, we become arrogant about, well, I, and then you give the list. I do this, and I dress that, and I belong to this, and I belong to that, and I do this, and they don't do it. And anybody that doesn't do it like I do it, well, they're just not quite as good of me because I'm doing it right. I know because I am doing it right, and nobody else is doing it quite as good as me, so I'm better than everybody else. And that's what legalism does to the body of Christ. And we get arrogant and proud and deceitful. And we're not even honest about ourselves. And to ourselves. We hide behind a mask of Christ, a Christ that we don't come to know because we become a slave to our tradition and our thinking and our processes. And Paul knew that the church at Philippi, that could be a reality. So he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I love this with him because he's, he's not saying finally. That's, that's what we do as preachers. We say, I'm closing, and then three hours later. That's not what Paul is doing. He's simply introducing something, a new subject in his text that needs to be said. Finally, as for the rest, here's, a, here's a, another subject. If, if we are truly the circumcision. If we're truly the people of God, there's going to be some things that we find from this text that we're going to find in our lives. And can I, can I say this to you, uh, what Paul said? He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You always have a reason to remove your eyes and your gaze and your heart and your mind from the current problem, not delineating, that, it, that, that not saying that it's not real, but there's a, something greater about your life as a believer than the problem that you're now going through. And that something that is greater is the fact that your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have already been saved and prepared right for heaven. 
So no matter what you go through, no matter what I face in this life, and listen, life is hard. It's difficult. I'm not making short of that. I'm not trying to talk you into this, oh, feel good all the time. But there needs to be something down deep in your heart that says, I know what I'm going through. I know, excuse the term, I'm going through a little hell on earth. But there's always something on the inside of me. There's something that I've got way down deep on the inside that is far more important. And if I'll just start thinking about what God has done for me, if I'll just start thinking about how He saved me, if I just start thinking about what He did for me, how He has moved for me in the past, all of a sudden, even in the middle of my distress, even in the middle of my terror, even in the middle of my fear, even in the middle of my job loss, I can still say, thank you, Jesus. I can still say I rejoice in the knowledge that I am saved. I'm on my way to heaven. And there's just something about praise. The Bible says to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When you're getting a little low, just put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Cast all your fears aside. Run to His face. Something in you has got to just rise up and say, Jesus, I've got a way through this, Jesus. I've got a way through this, Jesus. Personal relationship can do that for you. Religion can't. Tradition can't. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. Then he said this, not only are we the circumcision rejoicing, number two, he said, to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. We are people that repeat the truth to ourselves again and again and again. Why? Because it's so easily forgotten and laid aside. I can tell you that when we first started preaching the message of the cross over radio, we didn't have television yet. I think Brother Swigert and myself, and others would simply, we preached Romans 6, it was Sunday morning, we were preaching Romans 6, and Sunday night, Romans 6, and Romans 7, and Romans, and it was repetitious, because the body of Christ needed to come alive to the idea that what Christ did for us at the cross had far more to it than just getting saved, the initial salvation experience, and so one of our students got up in a devotion that we required of him and said, you know, if, if Brother Larson or Brother Swigert gets up and starts preaching the message of the cross and you go, oh, not again, that's evidence that you don't understand what they're talking about. Because when you are in love with the truth and you hear it again, it's not boring to you. It's safe. It's repetition. It does something for you that makes you say, I know this, but I just needed to hear it again. I already understood this, but I just need to hear it again. Over the last 30 years, I must have taught Romans 6 50 different times in 50 different locations in many, many states and what have you. And every time I roll through the truth of what Jesus did for me at Calvary, I get excited all over again. Because truth will do that for you. So you ought to have a rejoicing in your heart. You ought to have a 
acknowledgement of what truth is, and you're not sorry when somebody preaches the truth. And then he says this, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. This gets a little, well, embarrassingly nasty. But it's not that Paul was angry. He's not out of control. But he's concerned for the people of God. And he says this, basically the idea of beware in the Greek is the idea of you need to be paying attention. Can I say this to you tonight? You need to be paying attention. You need to be paying attention to what you're listening to, what you're receiving, what you're reading, what you're evaluating, what you're embracing. You need to beware. You need to be paying attention to where that information comes from. You can't just swallow and follow. Don't just listen to a preacher. Evaluate it yourself in light of the Scriptures. You've got to go there. You've got to go there. And this is what Paul is saying, that there are elements that are trying to hurt his beloved church. And one of the things that we're not doing in the church today, as we ought to do, is that we're not evaluating, we're not looking at, we're not uh, perceiving or regarding the things that we're listening to. How do I know that? Walk into a Christian bookstore and see all the things that are unbiblical. Look at all the actions that people are embracing. Look at all the forms of religion that people are saying. Let me tell you something. There's only one thing that will ever defeat sin in your life. And it's not 21 days of fasting. Let me preach over here. There's only one thing that will defeat sin in your life. And sin is our problem. Sin is our stumbling block. No, not just the guy next to you, you. Sin is your problem. It's my problem. We are still here in this element of flesh, and sin is still the issue that we have to be watching over. And we can't deal with those issues in our lives by trying to overcome sin through the flesh, through the efforts of our own strength and our own abilities. It's not going to happen. You're not going to make it. And when you walk into a Christian bookstore and you say, oh, well, I'll take this method and I'll take that method, what you're going to be doing is simply embracing something that won't bring about the change. There's only one thing that defeats sin, and that's the power of Christ's sacrifice. Everything else is hooey. Everything else is wrong. Now, just take that statement for a minute and consider it. Everything that you ever heard, if it was not pointing you to faith in Jesus and what Jesus did, if it wasn't pointing you to faith in Jesus, and what Jesus did. If it's pointing you to clothes, if it's pointing you to tradition, if it's pointing you to even Christian disciplines that are correct and right in themselves, if, if it's pointing you to events, Pentecostals, well, get filled with the Holy Ghost and your problem with sin is over. Are you kidding? But see, listen, we honestly thought that. And I don't have the time to take you through two hours of history as to why we thought that. But we thought that. 
we thought that this was an event, that there was literally a single event that could bring me to a place of complete perfection and sanctification. It ain't going to happen. There isn't an event. There's only faith in an event that will progressively take you from A to Z. Paul, the apostle, understood what growth in Christ was all about. And even after 30 years of understanding it and teaching it and preaching it, what does he say? In chapter 3, he says, I know this, I haven't attained. I haven't apprehended that for which I was apprehended. So you and I need to begin to evaluate what is it in your life that took the place of the cross and Christ's finished work? What is it that took the place of the cross and Christ's finished work. When you first came to Him, you didn't offer up your good works and offer up what it was that you had done. If you did, you didn't get saved. Because the only thing you can do to get saved is to admit that you're a sinner and that you're hopeless and helpless and that your trust has to be in Christ. Beware. Beware, beware, beware. These elements, these dogs, these evil workers, even the concision, were all people that were transferring people's faith from faith in Christ in the cross to something else. Now, I don't want to bore you for 45 minutes as to what those things were, but we have to be so careful. Paul said that we had to maintain the simplicity of Christ. What does that mean? It means that your relationship with Christ is really relatively a simple process. You place your faith in who Jesus is. You place your faith in the person of Christ. You place your faith in what He did for you. You rely upon Him. You depend upon Him. Every test in our Christian experience puts that thought to the test. And it doesn't matter if you're dealing with sin or a job or a relationship or a family member, or an illness. Everything is a fight of faith. And if we yield to the temptation to move away from Christ, then we'll find ourselves in a greater negative situation than we could have ever imagined. So I challenge you. Think about your traditions. Think about your everyday life with Christ. Now, I know you wouldn't do this, but I catch myself manipulating the situation, controlling the situation, figuring out how to get through the situation. Now, I'm not telling you that Christians park their brains at the door. We shouldn't. We, welcome to think of it. Maybe <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But the first thought is, Lord, what do we do? How do we handle this? As Christians, a lot of times we're not cognizant of dangers. We're not, we, we, we don't know how to deal with it. And uh, years and years ago, when I was first learning about grace in the 1980s, about 88, I think it was, um, Malcolm Smith wrote a book called Spiritual Burnout. And in that he started to talk about grace 
And most of the church spurned his teaching. They didn't listen to him. And I love Brother Smith. I learned a lot of things that laid the foundation for my understanding of the message of the cross there. Uh, but he said in his book, he said, Christians are like people that live in a valley at the bottom of a great mountain. And they have this wonderful village and it's down there in the bottom of the valley. But there's an enemy that lives on the top of the mountain. And their favorite thing to do to the Christians down below is to take huge boulders and push them over the edge of the cliff and down they go. Thump -a -thump -a -thump -a -thump -a -thump so down in the bottom of the valley, Christians stand up and he said, Christians generally approach problems a couple of different ways. Some people look up and they see those boulders coming down and they say, Oh, whatever will be, will be, whatever will be, will be, whatever will be, will thump, thump, thump. And then there's other Christians that think they're God's answer to confession and they stand up and they say, That is not a rock. That is not a rock. That is not a rock. That is boom, boom, boom. And then there's other people that look at the reality of the boulders rolling down towards them. And their first thought is, Lord, that's a rock. What are we going to do? What are you going to do about that rock? See, you've got to deal with what is. Not with a fantasy world of religion. And you've got to take your life in its joys and its heights and its lows and say, Lord, what do I do with this? Help me with this. See, now I'm including him. I'm not parking my brain at the door. I'm including him in my life. I'm not letting religion substitute and all the actions that just simple dependence upon him. What did he always tell his disciples? Oh, ye of little faith. How many people feel like that all the time, right? The more we learn about who Christ is and what he did for us, the more we'll depend upon him. And the influences that come along and tell you what you need to do and how great you are and how wonderful you are and how you can make it all happen, you need to let it go. Beware. Watch for the dogs. Watch for the evil workers. Watch for the concision. For we are the circumcision. What does that mean? Do you know what God did the moment you said yes to Jesus? Have you really even looked into the Bible? I found that most Pentecostals don't have a clue what salvation brought them. And I are one, so I can say that. Do you know that the moment that you said yes to Jesus... Paul says that you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Circumcision made without hands. Now, we know what circumcision is, and I know I'm in mixed company, so I want to be careful. Circumcision was the removal of the flesh of the male member for the Jew. It was a sign of covenant. But Paul said that we as believers are circumcised 
with a circumcision made without hands. That means that the moment that you said yes to Jesus, God operated on you. He operated and He actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this was now regeneration under the terms of the new covenant, He literally transformed the new man and made you new. First of all, He took that heart that was hard and He gave you a heart that was soft and pliable. Then He goes into your spirit, which is the part of man that communicates with God, the part of man that knows, and He recreated your spirit so now you could talk to God and hear from God. You could commune with Him. And He reformed your soul because the soul then began to desire that part of you that feels. It begins to desire things it never desired before. The day before you got born again, you couldn't stand church. The day after you got born again, you couldn't wait for church to start. Why? Because you were a new creation. When God took you, He reformed your heart. He reformed your soul. He reformed your spirit. He made you able to commune with God. The only word we can get from God most of the time before getting saved, there's always exceptions, but for the most part, it's get saved. You're a sinner. That's all you hear. But the moment that your spirit is recreated and you're regenerated and the power of the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, God can start to reveal Himself. He'll take what's up in heaven and begin to tell you what God knows about you. And He'll begin to tell you what you need to know about God because now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are not only that, but then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God takes you in the moment of redemption and baptizes you into Christ. You're crucified with Him. You're buried with Him. And you're raised up with Him to live in Him from a brand new power source. The power of sin is broken. The past and penalty for sin is paid. And you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you know what He's done? Do you know what you have? Do you know who you are in Christ Jesus? We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. You don't need to get it, honey. You got it. Do you understand what you are when Paul says, that's why you don't need religion. That's why you don't need the formal tradition. That's why you don't need all the, uh, all the mental garbage. You are the circumcision. You've been transformed by the power of God. You've been changed. You're not what you used to be. That's the born again experience. I'm not talking about being baptized with the Holy Ghost. That's for power for service. I'm talking about being born again. Born again, there's really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said. Born again, all because of Calvary, I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. We are the circumcision. Our soul has been recreated. Our spirit has been recreated. Our heart has been softened towards God. God's spirit has made entrance and dwells within me. And He reveals to me the things of God all night long while you were sleeping. The triune Godhead was talking about you. 
His thoughts about you were as the sands of the seashore. And when you got up, the Holy Spirit has been in conference who now lives in you, and He begins to tell you about the things of God. Do you know what you have? You are the circumcision. You are the circumcised. You are those changed by the power of regeneration and the presence of the Holy Spirit that was never available before what Christ did at Calvary. Do you know what you have? Why are you looking out there when you are the circumcision? We worship God in the Spirit. When Noah and Hope and the rest of the team started singing, first of all, young man, I got a bone to pick with you. He didn't sing a lick down in Baton Rouge. I don't, did you even play guitar? No. And Hope, where'd she go? I called her Hannah for the first three months, you know. I didn't hear you sing either. Did I? Did I? No. You got some talent here in this church. But we rejoice. You don't have to you don't have to talk Christians into shouting. Because on the inside of you if you just stop being so stinking religious and just let God in you start rising up in you, you'd start feeling that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when Noah started singing, I've got one more river to cross, one more mountain to climb. I felt it, didn't you? Down, right down in it, because I am the circumcision. I've got something on the inside of me that when you say Jesus, I get excited. When you talk about the Bible, I get excited. When you start praising God, I get excited. Jesus met a woman uh, that was living in the Samaritan area, and he told her back then, 2,000 years ago, he said, the day is coming and now it's here where men and women will worship God in the Spirit. See, there's something about a born-again believer, the circumcised that just wants to worship God, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have, well, I've got to hurry here, I'm wearing you out, no confidence in the flesh. We have so much confidence in flesh. We do. Excuse me, I better preach over here. We have... And I, and I put myself at the front of the line, not as someone who has arrived. We manipulate. We make things happen for ourselves. We try to produce for God. We try to make ourselves something we're not. You can't change yourself. You can't change your heart. Only Christ. Jesus is the heart changer. And we, I know we quote it, no flesh. 
will glory in his presence. Hallelujah. But I'm here to tell you, all flesh tries. Because life, you know, is all about me. It's me, not you. Not you, 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 or you, just me, me. I'm the guy, I'm the one, I'm the most important, just me. See, flesh is all intrinsic about who I am, what I have, what I can do, and the fact that I'm better than you, and I know it, but I won't show it. All of that is going on on the inside of all of us. Excuse me. Amen, Brother Larson. Preach it, Brother Larson. Teach it, brother. All of that is going on on the inside of it. We won't say it, but we're all about ourselves. It's the result of the fall where we gained selfishness, which is the source and bottom line of most sin because I want it for me. So I count on me to get it for me and I manipulate me and then I manipulate you to get what I want and then we come to church and, oh, hallelujah. We've got to learn as the people of God not to have confidence in what we are able to do, in what we are able to produce. Because if we're the ones doing the producing, God doesn't have the right or the maneuvering ability to produce through you or produce for you. And I, I, I'm learning that I can't produce even for myself what God can produce for me. And without again going into details, the dogs and the evil workers and the concision were all trying to get Paul's friends at Philippi to say, Oh, yeah, I can trust in that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll work in that. Learn to identify everything that causes you to trust in you. And then, like Paul, come to it and say, the very things that I thought were gain. The very things that I depended upon. The very things that I thought brought me assets. That if I was an accountant, it's in the plus column. Those are the things that you need to evaluate and look at very closely because they just might be, as Paul found out, not positives but negatives. Well, how could they be negatives? He's circumcised the eighth day. He's a, of the stock of Israel. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a, touching the law. He's a Pharisee. He's concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which in the law. He's blameless. These are all things Paul totally focused on that he says, you know what? I blew it. I missed it. I gave myself to it. And it was confidence in fleshly endeavor to do for himself what God wanted to do for him. All couched up in religion, and even some of it drawn from the Word of God, but misappropriated and misapplied. And Paul said, you know what? Those things which were once 
gain or profit to me. I now see them, again, as I said earlier, not just as a loss, something I throw away, but these were hurting me. Your dress codes were hurting you because you placed your faith in it. Now, if you, have a, if you have a conviction that you shouldn't wear makeup, fellas, I think that's fine. But I've known godly women who just didn't believe, Pastor. They didn't believe, and that's why they didn't. They just didn't. And so keep your faith. But when that faith in what you feel is a conviction moves to a route to righteousness, then you're having confidence in the flesh. And you're looking at yourself as doing something that everybody, everybody, everybody should be like me. There are, okay, I'm going to hurt you here. There are no laws. All things are lawful for me. 1 Corinthians 6.12. How do I evaluate it? Finish the verse. But all things are not expedient. Is it profitable? Does it aid in my Christian experience? All things are lawful for me, but I won't be brought under the power of any. Oh, man, we blast the guy that's, and the gal that's under the control of cigarettes and tobacco. But what about your Snickers bar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Bless God, you never heard a, a big-bellied preacher get up and preach against pecan pie, did you? (laughs) And he's dying because he's over, you know, okay, but he can't put down the pecan pie. Got to have the third Snickers bar. But I'm not smoking cigarettes. I'm not advocating cigarettes. I'm not advocating Snickers bars. I won't turn them down. No, I didn't. But I'm trying to say, you see what we do? We start evaluating things in the wrong light, and then we place our faith in what we do and what other people don't do. Whatever has bound you, Jesus can set you free. And whatever isn't profitable or expedient to you, that you can't lay aside its time, whether it's a relationship or soap operas, whether it's movies or it's, a, you know, whatever it is, whatever's not profitable for you, you know it because you're the circumcision. The Holy Ghost is saying, that doesn't fit for you and me. And God is saying, get rid of it. But as long as you're not smoking cigarettes, you can still... Because we made a minute number of laws that we think are the most important. Those things are not profit to you. They're stealing confidence in God from you and raising confidence in yourself. And we can't live there and exhibit Christianity. We are the circumcision. We 
worship God in the Spirit. And we have no confidence in the flesh. And it's time to lose some things that we might gain Christ. I don't know where you're going tonight, but I, I want you to gain Christ. I need you to start evaluating the things in your life that are traditional, that are beliefs. I'm not asking you to be bound up or throw aside things on every wind of doctrine. Don't believe every preacher you hear. I say to you, get back to the book. Evaluate what is real and what is right. And daily say, Lord, show me how to have a relationship with you. Because what I want is to gain Christ. What I want is not just a legal, feeling good about myself, religious tradition. I want a real relationship where you bless me and you break me and you change me. You expose me and you correct me. And then you help me to help someone else who's going through the very thing that I did, not because I'm better, but because I've learned the process of change. We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. We're those that have been changed and are being changed, not by tradition, but by the power of God through faith in Christ and Him crucified. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this evening, please? Singers, musicians, come. Sometimes the most profitable word that we can hear is a word that makes us look at ourselves. And honestly, I suppose that's true all the time. Now, I'd rather swing from a chandelier and shout. But in preparation of that, you're going to have to be a people that learns what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And that means hang on to what is biblical and right. Hold fast to it. But those things in our lives that need to change, their traditions, we thought they were truths and with all of our heart we embraced them. But they're not doing us what they It's because they're not what God intended. So I challenge you tonight. And I don't know what they have in mind. I'll trust you know. I challenge you tonight to take just a minute before we leave here. And let's just gather together and worship. Let ask God, Lord, is there something in my heart, in my life, that has just been traditional? Something that I've embraced, something that you're trying to take out of my life because it's a loss, it's a detriment, it's hurtful. I thought it was right, but it's not. Fix it. Change it. Lord, I'm circumcised. I have been prepared to be changed. So change me in Jesus' name. Sinners. Would you come first before we go? Ask me.
We give you praise in Jesus' name. If you don't have a home church, I invite you to be back again with us in the morning. If you're uh, watching or if you live in the Winston-Salem area, I'm going to invite you on Wayne's behalf and my behalf to be with us in Yadkinville at 640 Crescent View Drive. Same message, just a different vessel. I, I, I just assume hearing him preach as anyone else because God's Word is God's Word regardless of where it comes from. But be with us in the morning if you're coming. We have a homecoming service. That means that we're going to eat physically after we're fed spiritually. And there's probably any and every kind of casserole you can probably imagine will be available. Uh, but uh, bring that uh, if you desire to do so. But we will eat after service. You're more than welcome to stay with us. And uh, if you can't, then uh, you can go eat somewhere else. We don't mind that either, but uh, be here. But we love you guys. Thank you for coming. And we will again in the morning at 1030 is our service. So we will see you then. Be blessed and be safe. Uh, and go